Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Another Bottle Down, and my name is Mark Rayshap. We talk about wine in the wine industry, and we broadcast in Austin, Texas on the airwaves on 91.7 FM. That's co-op radio. And then, uh, and then take our wonderful stories and put them uh, in the podcasting world. So thank you so much for checking it out, whether you're on the iTunes store or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to sus- subscribe and uh, give a rating and, and, and make sure to like the podcast. So I really appreciate it. We've got a great show for you today. This is actually the first time that I'll be talking about Austrian wine, and I can't believe it's it's taken this long because I am a huge Austrian wine fan. Amazing Gruner Veltliners, that's kind of their, their national grape variety. I just absolutely love the, their Rieslings. And, uh, and also the reds, all of the uh, amazing uh, kind of cool climate red wines that they have. Um, we get into all of it. Uh, my guest is an amazingly knowledgeable Austrian. He's one of three masters of wine in Austria. His name is Andreas Vikoff, and he is now general manager of a winery, Brundelmeier, or, or more precise, uh, Weingut Brundelmeier, and they're in the Kamtal, so, um, and focusing on Gruners and, and Riesling. So I know that you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, one of the the highlights is just having Andreas run through the geography and all of the um, the DACs or, or the appellations of Austria. You might want to listen to it like three or four times because uh, it's so much information jam packed, and you can get amazing pronunciation and uh, and really sound like you know what you're talking about. So uh, I won't talk anymore. We'll get right into it. My name is Andreas Wickhoff. I am from Austria and uh, I'm the general manager of Weingut Brundelmeier in the Kamptal. Yeah. So I really look forward to getting to know the region, the Kamptal, a little bit more over the course of this half hour and, uh, and getting to, to, to know the wines that are coming from there. So can you orient us? I mean, I know, I know that the wine regions are really based around the uh, city of Vienna, right? Yes, uh, mo- most of them, uh, most of our appellations are located on the northeast, east and southeastern end of our country. Um, overall, we make about um, 1% of the global wine production, our country. So it's a small country, it's an even smaller wine country to begin with. Yeah. Um, and the Kamtal appellation is about 50 minutes northwest of Vienna. Um, we are not that far away from the Czech border. And um, it's um, a white wine-focused appellation. So Gruner Veltliner is the most important grape variety for Austria. It's also the most important variety volume-wise for um, the Kamtal appellation, also for our winery. Right. Can we just take a brief moment to talk about, so so you are based in the Kamtal. That is part of Lower Austria or Niederösterreich. can you expand upon that? What are what regions are nearby, and then maybe we'll go a little south as well, just for about five minutes to talk about Austria as a whole. Absolutely, no problem. Um, so we are um, in what we would call the Danube area. So the Danube is also a key macroclimate influence here um, for our Appalachians. Um, and all these appellations around the Danube, uh, many of them are are named after the river that flows eventually also into the Danube. So the Kamp is a river. So Kamptal means Kamp Valley. Kremstal is a neighboring appellation to us. So the Krems River is flowing into the Danube as well, eventually. 
And uh, south of the Danube is the Treisental. And Treisental is again like Treisen is the river and uh, eventually ends up in the big Danube river. Um, the most influence of the Danube is being found in the Wachau. So Wachau is uh, an area about um, 15, 20 minutes away from Langenlois, from our uh, town in the Kamtal. And um, here you feel sort of the moderating effect that this big um, river has um, for the Appalachian. Really steep terraces that you find there. So once you go further a little bit eastwards, the countryside becomes a little bit flatter. So towards Vienna, it, come, it becomes a little bit um, uh, yeah, broader and wider spaced. And um, so eastwards of our Appalachian Kamtal, you will then also find the Wagram, Wagram uh, Löss-based um, uh, Grüneveltliners uh, that you find there. And gradually you move your way towards um, uh, Vienna, passing also Austria's biggest Appalachian, which is called Weinviertel. And Weinviertel uh, is really known for, you know, Grüneveltliner, um, as well as source of um, uh, grapes for sect, sparkling wine. So that's sort of the um, the Niederösterreich area in in a nutshell. Right. So that was, and I love that to hear the correct pronunciations. Uh, I will listen to this many times. <laughs> and then, and then, if we go a little bit uh, into further south from Vienna, we get into Burgenland. And, yep. and uh, can you break that down a little bit? Sure. Um, so uh, when you land in Vienna at the airport, you're basically not far away from an appellation called. Carnuntum. And Carnuntum still belongs to Niederösterreich, but has the biggest influence from the east, from the Pannonian side. So I would almost, you know, consider it more Burgenlandish than Niederösterreich. Um, has some interesting Blaufränkisch there, so Lemberger or Kekfrankisch, as it is called in, um, in uh, Hungary. And, um, and then you go just about half an hour, 45 minutes drive from the airport towards the uh, southeast side is an appellation called Neusiedlersee. Um, it's named after the lake that you find there. It's a really, really uh, big lake uh, stretching into Hungary, as a matter of fact. So it's about... 25 to 30 kilometers long. Um, so really influences the wines. Absolutely. And that's Lake Neusiedl. Lake Neusiedl, absolutely. Um, and the closer you are to the lake, um, also the uh, higher proportion of sweet wine production is happening. So some, some of the best sweet wines of Austria, potentially the world, uh, is coming from the <laughs> eastern side um, of the lake uh, in the area of... Um, Ilmitz, uh, so that's where some really good um, sweet wines are being made. But also on the western shore, Rust, a very historic wine town, where you find the Rooster Ausbruch, um, which is um, a, a very noble and historic sweet wine for Austria. Right, like uh, of the echelons of Sauternes and Tokai from Hungary, etc. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And then you would move a little bit further south on this eastern end um, from Neusiedlersee, Appalachian. The next one would be Mittelburgenland. So it's in the middle of Burgenland um, with a heavy focus on Blaufränkisch as well there. Um, and uh, then you uh, go down uh, another step to an Appalachian called Eisenberg. And Eisenberg is really beautiful, for me, very much terroir-driven Blaufränkisch land. It's small. It's a small appellation, 
But um, the soil composition, very ferric content, um, has a big impact on, on the style of the wine. So the, the wines are quite um, structured and uh, refined, and, I think. And maybe the most interesting reds of, of all of Austria. Yeah, um, I mean, there is um, another appellation just west, uh, on the western shore of um, the lake, which is called Leiterberg. And Leiterberg would be something also really cool and interesting uh, due to the fact that um, you have a lot of limestone and chalky-based soil types there um, where you can get some really cool uh, burgundy varietal um, white uh, as well as uh, Blaufränkisch again. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, and and they just got a, a new appellation there, Rosalia. That's right. Is, yeah, Rosalia um, is um, being put into place. So that's sort of really where Rust is um, is based. Um, and here we have a focus on Blaufränkisch and Zweigelt. Zweigelt, the yeah. most widely planted red grape in Austria, um, both on the red side but also on the rosé side. So that's that that's what this new DSC Rosalia will will yeah. be about. Right. And um, and then Steiermark below that, but um, not. I mean, that's a very large area. And uh, is 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 are there interesting things coming out of that? Oh, I would definitely think so. Okay. I mean, I, I I need to say that too because I I'm originally from this area. Okay, great, <laughs> so, good. Um, no, it's a beautiful um, landscape. Of course, I would consider it one of the the most beautiful in Austria because you have very steep hillsides uh, that you find there. Um, it's we call it the green heart of Austria. Everything grows and thrives uh, very beautifully. You have more precipitation and Adriatic influence from the south, so that's why you have. Um, more rainfall there in general, but also a little bit more moderate climate. We, it's not as um, severe continental as we have it in the Kamtal. Um, and from there, yeah, you find some of the greatest Sauvignon Blancs and the Morillons, uh, a synonym of Chardonnay um, from Austria. So, um, and there's lots of good movement at the moment going on down there uh, with uh, site classifications, uh, just like what we do in the Kamtal. But, um, uh, oh, also maybe potentially going into law next year. So uh, there's, a, there's a big progress going on at the moment uh, in terms of combining probably the DAC um, policies together with a, a site classification. Right. Um, and um, yeah, there, there's some some good good vibe yeah, down there. Yeah, can we talk about just general where Austria is at? Because there's some really interesting stuff going on in your region of the Kamtal, uh, with as you say the the site classification and the the first growths are Erstelagen and and so forth. Um, give us a brief history as to how did Austria get so focused on you know classifying the great places and uh, and really trying to say to the world, hey, we have uh, um, amazing wines that, that really have a sense of place, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that there's a, a, a real movement, and I think that that's worldwide as well, but uh, Austria is really doing great things. Yeah, um, I think this has just a, a pretty clear uh, historic component there. Where our wine culture started um, was very much towards a um, an approach that Italy uh, has taken, that France has taken, where uh, it is about associating a style of a wine with uh, a specific region. So I always give that example. You know, when when we uh, order a glass of Chianti, 
we sort of know, you know, we're ordering the village, basically, or the town. And most of us will know it is a red wine and it's Sangiovese based um, and it should be, you know, cherry laden driven. And, and so you have you have sort of that image in your head. And this is what Austria has done beforehand, too, that um, our wines in the past have always been named after the village or the region they came from. So you find in old wine lists of the early 20th century, wines uh, such as Badener or Gumpurtskirchner or uh, Tübinger, um, with even uh, a mentioning of the, of the site, like Tübinger Heiligenstein. And, um, and only in the 50s and 60s, um, we sort of adapted the German wine law. We, we um, got used to that. So that, mean, that meant we were associating the quality um, with the must weight, with the potential sugar level of the grapes, which right. at that time, I think, made sense. Yeah. Because it was harder to attain ripeness. So you will find on Austrian labels from the 50s uh, to the 80s onwards um, uh, terms like Kabinett, Spätlese, Auslese, etc. Um, but now we have, we're basically returning to where we came from. Right. And this is um, what we have done within the um, Austrian traditional estates, Österreichische Traditionsweingüter, an association of some of the best growers within the Danube region where um, from 1992 to 2009, sites have been, uh, have been uh, tried to be classified um, as Erste Lagen, as Premier Cruz, um, because of different relevance factors that we have looked at over you know, two decades, basically. And um, there has been a very good movement um, going on with that, also in um, clo closer relationship with the VDP uh, uh, from Germany, the other private initi initiative um, in, uh, in the German-speaking uh, world where we classify vineyards. And um, um, yeah, I think um, we're, we're on a good path. Uh, yeah, and I think it's, it, it is a little bit clearer to, uh, to, to the consumer, and it's exciting, too, I, I think, to, to really get to know these places and vineyards. Well, let's, let's, we had a great um, overview of Austria. Let's zoom in on the Kamtal and Brundelmeier. If you're just tuning in, uh, we're talking with Andreas Vikoff, who is general manager of Brundelmeier, uh, or Weingut Brundelmeier, in the, uh, in the Kamtal of Austria. Austria, focusing on white wines, focusing on Gruner Veltliner. Um, and so, so the Comtal paint us the picture. You've got, it's, it's very continental, right? And it's, uh, do you have, it's perhaps not as steep and terraced as the Wachau, as you said, but you still have some pretty steep vineyards and uh, some pretty extreme weather. Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, terraced viticulture. Uh, whenever you see Kamtal on the label, it can only be two grape varieties. So Gruner Veltliner and Riesling, and both of these made in a dry style. That is really sort of where um, we stand at the moment. Um, we uh, have a clear focus on uh, pure, um, refreshing, crisp style of wines where um, hey, we have quite a bit of an influence from the uh, continental side, from the Bohemian mass, from today's Czech Republic. So cool winds coming down from the north that in the last ice age also brought us one of the most important soil components, what we find today, which is Lös. Uh, it's a wind-blown sand, which was deposited during the ice age in our, in our region. 
So um, that northern climate has a big influx. Um, we do have a couple reds, uh, but if it's reds, it's early ripening varieties. So Pinot Noir and Zweigelt, you find a little bit of St. Laurent, um, but that's, that's really about it. But then you wouldn't see the the actual DAC or the, the region on the label. Absolutely. Yeah. So then you would have to declassify it sort of as Niederösterreich. But you could still name the vineyard where this Pinot Noir, for instance, came from. Oh. That would still be possible. Okay. Um, Describe the so we have Riesling and Grunerweltliner are really the the showstoppers and and what you say Grunerweltliner um, more so there's more plantings of Gruner and that's the historic uh, grape of the region. What describe the the flavors um, that for folks I know that there are some listeners out there who've never uh, had a Grunerweltliner. What uh, what what is Grunerweltliner all about? And uh, of course it expresses itself differently in different sites very much so in your region. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think Grunewetlina can be very diverse. Um, it can uh, give you a very vibrant, fresh example with citrus, lime, lemon um, uh, appear, uh, appeal uh, to a more broader, richer, structured style that uh, has then maybe a little bit more stone fruit flavors or, um, you know, golden delicious apple uh, riper pear characters in warm to hot years, potentially a little bit more exotic white fruit. Um, one of the features that you should always find with Gunavitlina, hopefully, is uh, a sort of peppery, spicy element that yeah. this that this grape variety gives. Um, having just come from uh, from New York um, this morning, uh, we had a, a really beautiful um, dinner last night at uh, Walsey, which is uh, one of the most renowned Austrian restaurants in, in the United States. And um, Chef uh, Kurt Guttenbrunner there was pairing our, our gruners with white asparagus um, and green asparagus and then some sort of peas as well, uh, green peas. So, Which are traditionally very hard foods to pair with uh, wine. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is uh, so all sorts of green vegetables or think about artichoke. Um, this is a really hard vegetable to match with, but Grunewaldina works really well with that. So it gives you a really broad scope and broad picture of what Grunewaldina can taste. Um, the vast majority of the Gruners you find in this country here is probably more on the fresher, crisper, uh, lighter side, right. which is fine. But please, we should not forget that Grunewaldina can also be very age-worthy, can yes. have structure, can rival some of the best white wines in the world. And um, I think we've shown this over these last, say, two to three decades that um, we're on a pretty good roll when it comes to yeah, uh, the style of, 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 of fine gruner. Right. Do Now, of course, you know, that fresher style uh, is very much suited more so or made in a way that, that is no oak influence, just stainless steel to preserve that freshness. Uh, does it also uh, take well to larger barrels, uh, that, that sort of that sort of age, more of the, the uh, premium stuff and the, and the, and the age worthy stuff? Yeah, uh, I think so, and this uh, has also been the tradition in our in our area. Right. When you come to our eight hundred year old uh, uh, wine cellar in uh, in uh, Dwango Bundelmeier, you will see old ca- casks, uh, both made out of um, oak, but also acacia. So we have uh, two different types of wood that we would use for um, storing and partially also fermenting uh, our wines. 
and then they are being matured for almost uh, a year um, uh, after vintage uh, when we then would bottle and, and release it. So we give the wines also enough time when it comes to the reserve style Grunewald Inas yeah. uh, and also Rieslings. Rieslings as well do do well in these older oak barrels. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's not, we're not looking for an influence from, from the vessels uh, uh, per se, right. but it's sort of a, a, a natural uh, micro-oxygenation process going on there. So the, the wine can breathe a little bit uh, better than in a, in a stainless steel uh, vessel. And uh, with that and with the least contact that we would give, so the dead yeast cells uh, deriving from the fermentation, all that uh, accounts then for more structure, uh, more complexity, hopefully more layers in the wine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then, if we if we talk to Riesling, and we do want to narrow in on the different Gruner Veltliners that you that you make, uh, because there, you make a lot of different ones depending on the site and the vineyard, right? Yes. Um, well, let, let's t- let's talk about that. We'll we'll save Riesling for a few more minutes. Like yeah. <laughs> um, so so we do have uh, one of our most important wines comes from different terraced vineyard sites, and this is called Terrassen Grüneveltliner. It's sort of the archetype, I think, of uh, refreshing crisp Grüneveltliner from the Kamtal. So you should find this citrus lemon um, characters in there uh, in a warmer vintage, maybe a little bit more riper yellow uh, apple characters with some spice, um, then we would move up uh, to uh, a wine called Alte Reben, Old Vines, Grüneveltliner, which comes from uh, selected Erste Lagen sites, so Premier Cru sites. Sees aging already in big uh, neutral casks, so we have uh, a little bit more layers, more complexity in these wines, um, a touch more richness, I'd say, and an accentuation of the spice characters right, that so the Grunewaldina has. So that's the Alte Reben. Yes. And, um, and, and okay, excellent. And don't confuse, so Alte Reben and, uh, and the, the name for a site is the Reden, right? Correct. Okay. So whenever you see the term Reed, R-I-E-D, uh, on our labels, because this is also by law, we have to put it on. It is then a single vineyard site. Okay. So, and uh, most of them are classified Erste Lang, Premier Cruz, that we have. We only have one which is not, uh, but it's, it is within one um, Erste Lang site, but that's a monopole site that we have called Berg Vogelsang, really pretty stony uh, uh, Grünewaldliner. Uh, and all the others are, yeah, classified Erste Lang uh, sites from. Um, Loiserberg from Spiegel, from Käferberg. Um, most likely the m- w- most well-known uh, is the Kamener Lamm, which is on the eastern edge of uh, the most historic uh, vineyard site in the Kamtal, the Zöbinger Heiligenstein. Yeah. So uh, if folks listening out there want uh, a, a wonderful map that uh, when you hover over the name of the vineyard, it, it pops out on the map. It's a beautiful, interactive vineyard. Uh, uh, you can go to brundelmeyer.at. So that's B-R-U-E-N-D-L-M-A-Y-E-R.at. And I'll, I'll post a link to this, to the website and a map uh, on the blog as well so, so people can follow along. Um, let's talk briefly about uh, the Riesling. Say, say that famous vineyard again. Uh, Tübinger Heiligenstein. Heiligenstein, okay. So it's one of the most historic vineyards in, in Austria. 
first mentioning in the 11th century as being a source of wine. Wow. Um, and at that time, uh, it was still uh, apparently called Hellenstein, so meaning bright stone. It's a very uh, unique soil composition that we find there. It's a volcanic sandstone dating back to the Perm period. So we talk about 260 to 280 million years ago. And um, it's a beautiful exposure. It's a terraced vineyard up to 900 feet, 950 feet altitude. Has um, uh, a great, uh, perfect aspect, an uh, east-southeast exposed site. So, so that's one of the the best aspects because when you have these tributaries, you have on one side is probably going to be that east-southeast aspect, and on the other side, the western aspect. So, yeah, um, depending on uh, um, uh, on <laughs> on where our climate is going, and uh, again, uh, I think it would be um, it's a great uh, source of information also on our website when you go to site and climate because yeah. we. We have climate data that it can date back to years and years, uh, how, how the climate is developing. And we clearly see a warming uh, happening. This is not only in our Appalachian, this is uh, in Europe in general, I would say. Um, then we need to ask ourselves, is the southern exposed, uh, are the southern exposed sites uh, still the best ones or are actually you know, uh, largely easterly faced where you only get the morning sun, um, the, the better ones. Um, right. So this remains to be seen where uh, the climate is going. But just um, talking to the office or, or uh, writing the office this morning, they were saying, you know, we're expecting flowering um, very, very soon. So and we have the 15th of May. Um, this is not normal, really. Right. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting to see what uh, and uh, how how these trends change and how great sites, you know, become maybe a little bit too hot and uh, and then you know maybe varietals change and also the the, the, the tastes and the trends of the market too that you know uh, perhaps that has an, a, an effect as well. But boy, eight hundred years of tradition at Brunelmeyer, uh, that's that's incredible. What's it? What's it like to be part of that 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 family uh, tradition? No, it's it's a it's a wonderful and beautiful um, task, a big task, but a, a very very giving task um, to work uh, with and for uh, the family. Willy Brunelmeyer can certainly be considered as one of the uh, pioneers of Austrian viticulture. Also, his father, um, who passed away, unfortunately, far too early, but I think he laid the foundation uh, of uh, what we are today, yeah. together then with the success that really uh, built up. Um, but um, no, we, uh, we, we've seen uh, a, a very good growth um, for, um, uh, of recognition for our winery, for our wines um, in the past 20 years. Um, and in general, I think Austria has seen a pretty pretty good um, role in in the last um, two decades or so yeah with uh, more recognition globally even though again we produce only one percent of the global wine production <laughs> right. we are very patriotic drinkers so right. um, only very little gets out yeah and um, well we just have a few minutes left uh, I don't want to leave Riesling on the table I, I would drink it <laughs> but, uh, you know so if we can just you know because I think that Austrian Riesling is in a good place right now uh, we should say that the vast majority is dry so it, it doesn't have an identity crisis uh, maybe um, do, do does Riesling sit on be uh, different sites how do you think about Riesling uh, in the winery 
Yes, um, certainly we do have uh, a different soil composition. So Riesling, to some extent, wants to be challenged a little bit. So it does not need that uh, amount of water that Grunewittliner, for example, uh, requires. Um, we are most on stony, gneiss or schist, granite-based soils. Um, uh, with that big exception of the Tübinger Heilingstein, which has that unique soil composition for our appellation with that volcanic sandstone material. Right. So, so that does well for both Riesling and Grunerweltliner. Yes, but um, but but I I would say that um, the gneiss, uh, the granite, and the volcanic sandstone are. Uh, better overall for the Riesling. Right. Uh, Lös is the one where we put our, our Gruners, most of our Gruners. I like um, the uh, the Gruners also from stonier type, soil types, but in a vintage, for example, like 2017, where we did not have uh, a very much precipitation, that Gruner will then be challenged a lot. And the younger vines might suffer um, on, on such a poor uh, soil condition. But um, overall, I think that makes up our, our diversity, our, um, yeah, uh, great, the, the great different features of, of these two varieties. Absolutely. And, um, and so, and we won't see that ripeness, uh, those categories that we, that we, that we saw uh, decades ago, uh, but we're starting to see more sites. And, uh, and you do know that even though you achieve that ripeness, um, you know, it, it, it would be fermented dry. And so, so then you have to pay attention to the cooler years versus the warmer years and all that fun stuff that we pay attention to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we should say that um, you are a master of wine. You're uh, one of the few in Austria. Um, there are three. Yeah. Three, yeah. wonderful. Mm. And, and so, you know, I always like, so you passed very rigorous exams and, um, and now to be a general manager at this historic winery uh, and, and to bring all of that knowledge to it, it, it must be very rewarding. As you said, it's an, it's an honor to work for this family tradition and, and see them, uh, their, um, their recognition grow. Um, do you still, are, are you still studying uh, world wines and, uh, and bring that knowledge to, uh, to, to Austrian Grunerweltliner, Riesling, all of the stuff that's going on? Yeah, um, I think uh, the, the master of wine journey is, is really not ending when you pass the exam. Uh, it's more you then have to prove yourself that you, that you actually are still up on, on that level. Yeah. Uh, having said that, though, for instance, the, the, the blind tasting exams um, that most fear um, at the moment, I probably would not be able to pass because I just I don't have that training anymore in right. that sense, although I still, of course, do blind tastings. But um, it has a lot to do with um, a rigorous training process there. Um, I still teach of uh, teach for the institute of masters of wine as well and uh the world of wine is a is sort of a never-ending uh, learning curve i think uh, and as we go along you know new appellations develop um old ones change um changing behavior of consumption etc you know so um it's it's unfortunately a, a, a moving um i wouldn't call it industry but a, a moving world that we're in with yeah. this um beverage yeah I, and I, w I wouldn't say unfortunately fortunately because then it never gets boring right absolutely if you could grasp everything then 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 the challenge wouldn't be there 
<laughs> no, no. That's it's it's good that there is some um, uh, uh, dynamics in there. Absolutely. Well, uh, Andreas Vikoff, thank you so much for being in the Co-op Studios. Uh, you have a dinner tonight at Maddie's, um, and and that should be very exciting. So, for more information on Brundelmeier, Brundelmeier dot at, and uh, wonderful website. And will you're my first Austrian guest, so I, I, I really thank you for for coming here and talking about the wines in general and Brunnermeier. Thank you. Sincere thanks for having me here. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, good luck with the rest of your travels. Thank you.